Today's scripture reading comes from Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. The word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. And many people shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths for out of Zion shall go forth the law. And the word of the Lord from Jerusalem, he shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many people. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn from war anymore. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Let us pray. Gracious and holy God, we say thank you. Lord, we say thank you um, as we look to the hope that comes from the coming of your son, Jesus Christ. Dear Lord, be with us as we learn to manage the heaviness of waiting. We lift these things up in your son, Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever noticed how much in our society we hate to wait? And I feel like this is one of those things that I can probably speak a little bit more generally about. Like it's not just a me thing. Because I feel like every technological advantage or technological advancement is centered around making like wait times shorter and making life easier. Like I remember when I was a kid, we had one of those old TVs where when you wanted to change the channel, you actually had to like get up, walk to it, turn the knob, and then make sure that the antenna was like right in the right place or the picture wouldn't be clear. Some of you younger folks have no idea how hard life was. <laughs> <laughs> And then the remote control came along and it was a lot more affordable, you know, so you could just change the TV from the front. And now it's so easy because now all you got to do is like pick up the remote, especially if you got like an Apple TV or something like that. Just say like, hey, Apple, turn to and it'll turn to whatever it is that you want. Like the process just got really, really, really quick. And I think about microwaves and and maybe this is just me but do you ever like stand at the microwave like while your food is cooking like you know you program it for 30 seconds but somehow if you stare at it long enough that maybe those 30 seconds will get shorter and shorter and then like you kind of go crazy waiting for those 30 seconds to pass because like, what am I going to do for the next 30 seconds while I wait for my food to get done so we hate waiting right we're we're impatient sitting at the light at the corner of Napier and 75th. And oh, don't let the light little green arrow be green for more than two seconds before you hear all the, huh, huh, huh. 
I, excuse me, I was checking Facebook. I'm sorry, I'll turn. <laughs> we hate to wait. And we hate waiting for little stuff. Stuff that in the grand scheme of life is probably inconsequential. So I can only imagine what it meant to the children of Israel who were in captivity, who were burdened by going from one master to the next, whose, whose only hope was this promise of a coming Messiah who was going to deliver them out of the hands of their captor. There, there was this hope that they had that they knew that deliverance was coming, but they didn't know when. Can you, can, can you imagine how burdensome that probably felt? Knowing that deliverance was coming, knowing that healing was coming, knowing that retribution was coming, but not necessarily knowing when. For most of us, as we as we toil over what to do in the 30 seconds that we're waiting for our pizza to heat up in the microwave. Or that 10 second delay, depending on how fast your Comcast Internet is when you're trying to download a video. The, the, the burden that the children of Israel felt probably at times felt almost too much to bear. But the beauty in the waiting, the beauty in the waiting of the coming, coming promise was that they had hope in what was coming. As we think about uh, the, the first candle that we lit, it is this reminder of that we were never left, no matter how long we were waiting, that we were never left without hope. And I wonder, brothers and sisters, is our faith in Jesus Christ strong enough to sustain us with hope? Is, is, is our faith in Jesus strong enough to sustain us even though the things around us don't look like what the promise said it was going to be? But we have hope. The interesting thing about this text today is in verse 2 is this indication of, of the, 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 the weight that they had to endure because it starts off by saying it shall come to pass in latter days. It's this constant reminder of waiting. Waiting. Even now, I wonder if some of us feel anxiety in the, in the slight moments of silence that we are having to endure this moment. Waiting on what's coming next. But there's hope. One of the things that we learn is that, first of all, as we think about the concept of it shall come to pass, is that we as believers have to develop the discipleship and the, 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 the ability to wait. Because if we, 
as those who are charged with carrying the promise and sharing the gospel of hope to the world around us. If we live in a, in a sense of anxiety, then that anxiety is what the world feels. Theolog- theologian John Oswald says this, that one of the, the, the struggles of this particular passage is because you can either go of one or two extremes. You can take this passage a little bit too serious or you cannot take it seriously enough. When you when you, when you when you read the passage and you think about this this future that we are being promised, some people have read it and taken it as this charge to create this utopian society where everything is perfect, where nothing is wrong. And that when things happen, somehow it's the absence of the presence of God. But brothers and sisters, one of the biggest struggles that we have to endure is that God is still present in our tough times, that God is still present in the imperfection, that God is still present as we are waiting, as we are hoping, as we are looking to the hope and the fulfillment of his promise that he will come back and restore and redeem all things. And in the midst of that process, that things aren't always the way that we want them to be. And and, and what does it mean for us to live in that tension? The other sides of that, and these are the folks that my mom would say are so heavenly bound that they're no earthly good, (laughs) is that that we look at the promise and, and, and use it as an excuse to do nothing as we wait. And maybe you've heard somebody say, well, the Lord is coming back to redeem all things. And that becomes this 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 get out of work free card where if I just show up to church and I pray. Then that's all that I need to do. And brothers and sisters, I think that the truth is found somewhere in between. My New Testament professor, Klein Snodgrass, would always say it's living in the tension between the now and the not yet. The reality of what our world looks like right now with the view of what is supposed to be in sight. And what that means for us in the meantime, in between time, is that part of our call is to be working toward the promise while we wait. So scripture says it shall come to pass in latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest mountain and shall be lifted up above the hills. It's this reminder that victory is coming. It's this reminder that how things are is not how they will end. It's this reminder that, that in the end, the mountain of the Lord will be the highest mountain. Well, what does that mean? Because, because mountains for the children of Israel in that time had a different connotation. And I think that sometimes in the midst of our struggle, we forget 
where our help comes from. Because from the children of Israel, something coming down from the mountain meant that something good was about to happen. The psalmist said it like this. He said, I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. What the psalmist was reminding us of like this text is saying is that oftentimes in the midst of the turmoil and in the midst of the waiting, we forget to look to the hills from which cometh our help. And it's this reminder that the mountain of the Lord is where our help comes from. And so as we wait, as we carry the burden of waiting, as we are being sustained by hope, we can be sustained by the memory that our hope And then our help comes from the mountain, the mountain of the Lord, Mount Zion. It's it's, it's this reminder that good things come from mountains. And and there, there isn't any other mountain that is high enough to stop what it is that God is planning on sending. For the children of that time, there was this understanding that there were other mountains that housed other gods. For the Greek, it was Mount Olympus, where Zeus was supposed to be. And Zeus in all his splendor, and Mount Olympus in all his height, had nothing on the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings and the God of Israel, the God of Y'all not with me this morning. It's okay. Y'all tired? (laughs) But the God of Jacob, it it, it was this reminder that that even though Mount Cassius was taller, Mount Cassius in North Syria where it was understood that Baal resided, even though it was taller than Mount Sinai, it still had nothing because God was the creator of all of those mountains, that God was the creator of heaven and earth, that God was the creator of all things. And there is nothing greater than the creator. That, that no man-made God, no mythological God, no mountain was high enough to block the hope that was coming through Jesus Christ. It it reminds me of one of my favorite Motown songs, Marvin Gaye and Tammy Terrell. It says, if you need me, call me no matter where you are, no matter how far. And I believe that our Lord is, is, is saying that to us, that there is no mountain high enough. There is no problem. There is no struggle. There is no violence. There is no opposition strong enough to keep me from caring for you, to keep me from getting to you, to keep me from watching over you when you need me. There is nothing greater than me in this world. I like to think that Marvin Gaye was maybe a little bit of a prophet. (laughs) But it's this reminder that sometimes we can make mountains out of the problems of life. 
whether they're financial problems. But God is bigger than those. Whether it's marriage relational problems, but God is bigger than that. That 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 maybe hate and violence is too prevalent in our world and there's nothing that we can do about it. But 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 God is bigger than that. And so our hope is in this reminder and in the understanding that, 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 that there is a mountain of our Lord from which cometh our help. It is because our God sits on that mountain that is higher than any other mountain. That we fight and we live from a place of victory. So we know that the struggles that we go through right now will not be the end of us. We, we know that the turmoil that we face right now will not be the end of us. Because the victory has already been won. The victory has already been claimed. The Lord has already deemed it so. So as we wait with hope in our hearts, we wait knowing that God is already working things out for our favor. So we are sustained by the hope that comes from a world that begins to recognize the authority and place of our Lord. Chapter verse 3 says this then. It says, and many people shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his path. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. This this is this is calling us to something bigger than just following the law. And following rules, but it is, it is pointing to a, a harmony that that will come to our world when our world submits to the lordship of Jesus Christ. What part of our role as the church? is to continue to share the gospel of Jesus Christ in ways that introduce people to relationship with Jesus. That's why we, we were challenged to go forth and make disciples. So the call wasn't necessarily to just go build churches, to build programs, the call was to make disciples. And as we go forth and make disciples and those disciples make other disciples through the power of the Holy Spirit, what we begin to see is humanity slowly conforming to the word and will of God. And so, yes, we gather on Sunday mornings and we sing and we worship and we raise our hands, but that's not our primary objective. And so this, the scripture is pointing to a time where the world will be submitted to the lordship of Jesus Christ. 
And though it sounds far out to some degree, for me, there is a hope that through our shared witness that people who don't know Jesus will come to know Jesus and share that transforming experience to other people who don't know Jesus, who will share that transforming experience with people who don't know Jesus. <laughs> and so what is happening is, is this, 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 this multiplication, this, this taking over of the world life by life. My mentor always challenges us by saying, like, every, everybody needs to have a life mission statement. And when I was 17, my life mission statement, and it's been the same ever since, was to change the world one life at a time. Part of the hope that we have in this Advent season as we are waiting is this recognition that the Holy Spirit through the vessels he called his church, are spreading the gospel over the earth so that the world can submit to him. So the scripture, it says that there will come a time where people will come to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that they will learn his ways. To me, I get this beautiful picture this this physical physical image of people's lives being transformed and changed because they are literally seeking to live by God's word and by God's will and imagine what the world would look like if we are made up of people who are submitted to the will of God. So, this, so, so the hope, there's so much hope in this passage because what it, is, what it is starting to point us to is this realization that as we worship, as we follow God, as his word permeates the earth, that we will see the transforming power of Jesus Christ on a global scale. For me, there's hope in that. For me, as, as, as a matter of fact, that's part of what wakes me up in the morning. Because if, 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 we, if we watch the news, if we, if we read the articles, if we follow the arguments on Twitter and Facebook and things like that, I would be hopeless. Because most of what we see day after day is hurting people who are hurting other people who have not necessarily had those transforming experiences. You see, you see pain, you see suffering, you see violence. And part of what gives, gives me the energy, and I believe gives the church the energy to do what we do day after day after day, is that hope that sustains us in knowing that things can change. Because the minute that we stop believing that ultimately God has power and God has the final say, then what are we doing? The moment that we stop living like the word of Jesus Christ can change and transform hearts, then what are we doing? And so hope in the coming Jesus Christ has to be the thing that motivates us and pushes us. Because there's too many other things that are coming day after day to fight the hope that we have.
In verse 4, it says, he shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn from war anymore. It's pointed to this fact that as we begin to focus our hearts and our minds under the lordship of Jesus Christ and begin to worship him, that that worship will move us from war to peace. That the, that the necessity that we have to take up arms against our brothers will not be there anymore. And I don't know about you, but I, I long for a world where I'm not constantly bombarded by images of war and rumors of war. I don't know about you, but I've lost friends to that. So this, 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 this text is pointing to this hope, this, this hope that is, that is telling us that the Lord will come to redeem this world and here is what it will look like. And it paints this beautiful picture. But brothers and sisters, we are still in that time where we, where we see the movement of Jesus Christ in the earth. We, we see his power, but we, but we, but we don't see its, its fullness. And so we are still challenged to wait. And like I said in the beginning, we hate to wait. So what do we do? It, it, it reminds me of this story I heard recently. The Houston airport, I don't know which one it is. So my fact checkers, let's fact check me and tell me what was wrong later. So the Houston airport, because they kept getting so much negative feedback about their wait times for luggage, did all of these crazy things and they, they changed their like process from the luggage going from the planes to the terminals. And they had created what was the shortest wait time in the country for luggage. It was about seven minutes. So seven minutes for your luggage to get from the plane to the little thingy that takes the luggage to the terminal. They throw it on the belt. And in seven minutes, your luggage is coming out. The problem was they were still getting complaints. They were still hearing from customers who were angry about how long they had to wait. And they couldn't figure it out because they had done all of this work to make the wait time shorter. The problem was they timed it and they realized that on average, it took about two to three minutes to get from the plane to the baggage claim area. And so even though the luggage was coming in seven minutes, there was still this four minute time period where people were just standing there waiting for their luggage to come. Sociologists will tell you that one of the hardest things about our anxiety around waiting is because we as people just have to do something. We can't just sit at the kitchen table and wait patiently for our food to get done in the microwave. We have to multitask, clean the refrigerator, sweep, do whatever it is we can think of to do just to pass the time. And so what was happening was that folks were upset now about the four minutes. So what they did was they made the path from the airplane to the baggage terminal longer 
They were taking people kind of all around out the way. So the walk would now be five minutes. So they were only waiting for about a minute for their luggage. Because we hate to wait. So that begs the questions, brothers and sisters. As we wait, what should we do? Verse 5 says, this is O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. As we wait for the return, we are called to walk in the light of the Lord. We are called to walk as people who are submitted to the word and will and the way of the Lord in such a way that when people see us and they see the light of Jesus Christ shining through our lives, that they are attracted to that light. What does that mean for us today? Then that means that as we wait, as we wait for Jesus to return, as we are being sustained by hope, as we are reminded that there is no mountain high enough to stop the victory that God has already proclaimed, that we are still called here in the now to be light in darkness, to be the salt of the earth, to work and care for the widow and the orphan, to do justice, to love mercy and walk humbly with our God. Brothers and sisters, we are called to right now as we wait to live lives that bring glory to God so that others can see and be drawn to the light of Jesus Christ. So we don't just sit and wait idly by, twiddling our thumbs, waiting for Christ to return. No, we are called to be the very vessels and hands and feet of Jesus Christ in our world today so people can see a very tangible example of the life that he is calling us to as we wait. As we wait. So as we wait, my challenge to you, my call to you, like the prophet says, so let us walk in the light of the Lord. When people see you walk, when people see you wait in hope and expectancy, are you walking in the light of the Lord? Waiting is heavy. Waiting causes anxiety. But we're called, as we wait, to walk in the light of our Lord. Are you walking in the light? Are you walking in the light? Let's pray. Lord, waiting is heavy. Lord, waiting is not fun. Lord, sometimes when we wait, we begin to question if we even heard correctly the promise. But Lord, we know that you are with us as we wait. So the Lord, give us the tools that we need to be the light in this world that you have called us to be, 
to be the living embodiments of the hope that we have in you so that this world, your creation, can be submitted to you. We lift these things up. In your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen.